welcome to Risk Roundup. Each one of us across nations currently stand on the verge of the most turbulent and transformative period in all of human history. The changes and challenges of the ongoing artificial intelligence-triggered automation and transformation are so profound that from the perspective of human history, there has never been a time of greater promise or potential peril. With the advances in artificial intelligence, robotics, and other technologies, intelligent machines that were increasingly working alongside humans or for humans have come a long way and have started working on their own. As a result, the way things are done in human ecosystem is changing fundamentally. So as we stand upon the precipice of change and prepare for the inevitable transformation of human ecosystem in cyberspace, geospace, and space, it is important to understand how artificial intelligence-driven fourth industrial revolution will impact humanity in the coming years. To discuss how artificial intelligence-driven fourth industrial age will shape the future of humanity further, I'm delighted to welcome Byron Ries to Risk Roundup. Byron is the author of the book, Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity. He's also the CEO of Gigamon, based in the United States. Welcome, Byron. We're honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be here. Wonderful, Byron. So out of the many technological trends emerging in the fourth industrial revolution, in your assessment, how is artificial intelligence-driven smart robots reshaping not just the daily life of individuals, but the society in general and the broader humanity? Well, that's a fantastic question. And and I, I always like to begin by saying we mean two very different things when we say AI. And I mean, your listeners, I'm sure know this, but I I always like to specify which one I'm talking about. There is the concept of an AGI, a general intelligence, an AI that is versatile as a human being. And that's the thing people, some people are afraid of, but it's a technology we don't know how to build. There's all kinds of very interesting things that humans are able to do that we don't know how to replicate mechanically. For instance, we, um, we're really good at transfer learning. We can learn something and use that knowledge elsewhere. And machines aren't. But anyway, this, this general intelligence, we don't know how to build that. But then there's narrow AI, and that is what we have all around us. And that is a computer program designed to do one thing. And it may be something quite simple, like uh, come on and water your lawn when it's dry. And it may be quite complex. It it does filter the spam out of your email, and it does. Um, route you through GPS and all of that. And and even if there's no AGI ever, the that narrow AI that is it alone is transformative. And because it kind of does something very profound if you think about it. What machine learning, which powers a lot of AI now, really is, is it's about taking a lot of information about the past data and projecting into the future. And so Philosophically, it requires this assumption that the future is like the past. A cat today looks like a cat tomorrow, so you can probably make an AI that can that can identify a cat tomorrow. Um, so that is a really big idea that all of a sudden data can give us insight into the future. And what that effectively does, I think, is makes everybody smarter. 
if you're using a device um, and you can look up something on the internet, it's sort of like you know that and you have it at your capability. So if you stop and say, what, what would happen if all of a sudden everyone was effectively smarter overnight? Uh, I think that's a really interesting question. We know the web's only 25 years old, give or take, the, the consumer web. And we know that that one has done so many unforeseen things. If you look at what people thought was going to happen with the internet, you get things like, um, you know, it'll it'll put the yellow pages out of business. It'll be hard on newspapers. And all of that happened. But um, thousands of other things happened. Google and eBay and Etsy and all of it. And, and that's what we don't know with AI, what it's going to do. But at its core, it makes people smarter. And, and that's hard to spin into a bad thing. It also does one other thing and uh is it means everybody's life experience can improve everybody else's life so if you learn something right now you kind of learn it and maybe you tell somebody or not and then you know someday you die and it's lost and that's it um take something like self-driving cars as people drive them more and more they're going to gather more and more data meaning tomorrow's is going to be better so if 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 AI does that, if it really says, let's make everybody smarter and, oh, let's turn all of human existence kind of into a, um, a cause and effect database and, and actually take what happens today and have it inform tomorrow, those are big and profound. But I don't think they're scary. I hope it is not scary. And in this, as we see in this fourth industrial revolution, we are facing a range of these new technologies that connect and integrate not only cyberspace, geospace, and space, but also individuals and entities across nations and all its components. So these converging new technologies are impacting everyone and mm -hmm. even challenging our very ideas about what it means to be a human. Now, each technology has both the good as well as the bad side. So what would it mean to be human as we move forward with this AI-driven automation revolution in the coming years? Fantastic question. And, and that's a question people have been asking for thousands of years. You know, what kind of are we? And there's two different camps. And, and depending on, on which camp you hold to, it will dictate a very different future. One camp says we are just machines and, uh, and that's it. And there's nothing in you that can't be explained by biology, which in turn can be explained by chemistry, which in turn is just physics. And everything that happens in you has a cause and effect. If that is true, if people are machines, then it stands to reason that we can build a mechanical one. And if you make a mechanical human, as it were, then you could make a better one and a better one and a better one and a better one. And so that's a, a view of the, of the world. And what that says is that being human probably won't be all that, wouldn't be all that special in that world. Uh, and you would almost have to fall back on, well, we're biological and you know we're made out of carbon atoms and it's made out of silicon atoms, but there isn't anything qualitatively, wouldn't be anything qualitatively different according to that view. Then there's another view that, um, more people, I think, hold, and that is that humans aren't entirely machines. And they explain it in a number of different ways. Some people believe they have a soul or, you know, some kind of, an, of a spirit uh, that it doesn't follow the laws of physics. And some people believe that um, 
we have a level of emergence that doesn't flow out of physics. And th there are different schools of thought on why we can't be thought of as mechanistic. And if that's true, then there's nothing, then there's all kinds of things that we are going to be able to do that machines can't. And, and that will, it won't change in any way, kind of what we think of as human. Yeah. Because we have all the superpowers. We have creativity and empathy and we feel the world. I mean, if I can just say one more real quick thing, the, the human brain is this marvelous organ. It's sometimes described as um, the most complicated thing in the, in the known universe. But we also have a mind. And what people usually mean by that is there's a set of things we're able to do that it doesn't seem like an organ should be able to do. Like you, you have a sense of humor, but your stomach or your liver doesn't. But where does that come from? And so we need to understand the mind. And then the great mystery is consciousness. So consciousness is your experience of the world. You feel warmth, computer measures temperature. And right now that's a very different thing. You can experience and have a first person view of the world. And those are, those are a few areas where the mechanistic school that we're purely machines have a hard time in. It's hard to even know the question of how is it that we are conscious? It's kind of hard to even know how to pose that scientifically and how to answer it scientifically. So I think right now machines are still at the place where I'm pleasantly surprised when they work more than I feel threatened by them. Well, that's a good sign that you we don't feel threatened by them, at least yet. But like every technology has uh, dual use and there is a good side and a bad side. And we have to make sure that, you know, the bad side doesn't uh, get explored more or mm -hmm. people don't start using it for uh, some uh, evil purposes. That's what the goal for, you know, the humanity would be to secure and make sure that, you know, it is uh, not going in the... Uh, direction where we will not be able to take control of the situation and the future of humanity comprises everything that will ever happen to any of us individually mm -hmm. and collectively. So understanding the broader trends of artificial intelligence driven automation and smart robots is about understanding in what ways humanity will change in the coming years. So uh, you talked about the human brain uh, and its complexities. And uh, uh, as we are, as the scientists, uh, uh, computer scientists are now trying to develop the computer brain, we, we individually and collectively need to reimagine what is possible. So how do you see humans staying relevant as AI-driven automation picks up, as AI-driven, you know, the computer uh, brain is being developed and human brain is not uh, evolving at the same uh, speed and uh, capacity as the computer brain. There is, so how do you see us staying relevant? So there, there I, I have to answer that two completely different ways. Um, one is... If if we are just machines and we make and we are able to reproduce things that are um, like human creativity, if we're able to do that, then then that is a whole different trajectory. Uh, if computers were better at every single thing on the planet, they wrote better poetry and they 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 did everything better. They wrote better novels. Then uh, you would have that kind of crisis. But um, I've not ever felt that that is going 
to happen. So if you ask people in the field, when will we get a general intelligence? You get five to 500 years is the answer. So we don't know how to build one. So it's kind of hard to, you know, guess when we would have it. But it's a thing that's far off. Like, you know, you talked about we have the ability to like chat with the computer. Um, and yet, whenever I see one of those systems, Cleverbot or any of them, I ask the same question. What's bigger, a nickel or the sun? And so far, none of them can answer it. And that's where computers really are. Now, putting that aside, if you say, well, okay, fine. Uh, maybe computers won't be creative anytime soon. Maybe they won't have empathy and maybe they won't have emotions. But there's narrow AI is still potent enough to destroy all the jobs. Um, I don't actually believe that to be the case. I think, I think the half-life of a job is about 40 years. I think about every 40 or 50 years, half the jobs vanish. Um, and I don't have a sense personally that this is going to be an exception to that. And people, people listening would probably push back on that, but we went from generating, we, we replaced animal power, which was the only power we had with steam in the United States in 20 years, 22 years, 95% of all power was, was steam. Um, we made the assembly line, which is a kind of artificial intelligence. It takes less skilled laborers and they make more things better, faster and cheaper. And that swept the world and and quickly. And we had um, the adoption of electricity and in industry changed the world quickly. But here's the interesting thing is that in the United States, unemployment has been between 5 and 10% all the time, ever, other than the, the depression, which wasn't caused by technology. But putting that aside, aside 5 to 10%, essentially full employment, even though we made all that stuff. And when a new thing would come out, like electricity, you didn't, you didn't see rises in the unemployment number. What, what makes the unemployment number rise and fall is, is um, the business cycle, for the most part. And so you say, well, how can that be? How can it be that we have full employment, but we're losing half the jobs every 40 years? And what happens is this. You'll hear people say, okay, there, it's true. Technology makes these amazing new high-end, high-paying jobs like um, a geneticist. But it destroys entry-level jobs, low training, like order taker at a, at a fast food place. And then what people say sometimes, and you have to kind of watch for it, is do you really think that order taker is going to become a geneticist? Like, really? And the answer is no, that's not what's going to happen at all. A college biology professor becomes a geneticist. And then the high school biology teacher gets the college job. And then the substitute teacher gets hired on full time all the way down. So the question isn't, when we create all these new jobs, the question isn't, can that entry-level person do this new job? The question is, can everybody on the planet do a job a little harder than the one they have today? And I think the answer to that is yes. And that is exactly what happens. Over 250 years of, of history of the Industrial Revolution, it um, 
technology will make great new jobs, destroy bad jobs, and everybody along the way gets a promotion. And, and I'll just say one more thing about it because you can easily see the kinds of jobs that AI is going to replace. You cannot easily see the ones it's going to create any more than in 1993 when the consumer web was out, you could have foreseen travel agents and stockbrokers having problems or, or yellow pages going out of business. You could see that, but you never would have seen Google, eBay, Etsy, um, all of them, like all of it, the hundred, the something like $25 trillion worth of wealth created because we, we had this new technology. So what happens is um, a new piece of technology comes out and it, it is effectively used by people to increase their own productivity. And when you increase your productivity, that's how you increase your wage. And that's why we've had 250 years of rising productivity. Like you just think of life back then. I don't work harder than my great grandparents, but I live a more lavish life than they do because one hour of my time just yields so much more than an hour of their time. I'm not hauling water up by the bucket uh, because of technology. I turn on a faucet and the water comes out. And so all this stuff technology creates, we just grab it and use it to make us more productive. Yes. So if you believe that view that we're not machines, then we're always going to be the master of the machines. Yes, we, we hope to be master of machines, right? So artificial intelligence, as mm -hmm. you uh, see, it's being embedded in everything we as individuals or even organizations uh, do today. It is uh, helping us automate the way we connect or communicate mm -hmm. or live, work and experience the world. And since AI is beginning to be built into every single interaction that we have today and probably will have in the coming tomorrow, how do you see these smart ro robots reshaping each nation's economy? Well, um, I mean, I, I always have trouble with the idea that somehow we're going to make these machines that are going to displace us. Like, th I would think of it this way, you know, nobody knows how many computers there are in the world. When you, when you talk about all the little, you know, computers that are in everything, uh, nobody knows. The best guesses are that 10% of all electricity, all electricity is used to power computers. And so it would be as if 25 years ago, you said, when you think about all the things we can put computers in, how are we going to keep up? And yet we seem to be 250 years into the industrial revolution. And when you, and we haven't left anybody behind. It isn't that there's a group of people who no longer can create, uh, can add value economically. I mean, assuming you're, you're healthy and able-bodied and, and all of the rest, there's nobody that can't do something today. So you would think we've had 250 years of more and more technology, more and more technology, and not a single person yet is obsoleted. Not a one. You can't find them. Um, it is true that jobs get destroyed rapidly, but jobs, its you know, it's not like there's this finite pool of, of, of jobs and if you start giving them to computers, to robots, to AI, there's going to be fewer jobs for humans. That isn't how it works at all. 
jobs, there's an infinite number of them. And any job is created the minute you take something like a lump of clay and you add labor and technology to it and you make a vase. You just created a job. Uh, and there's a, so there's an unlimited number of them. And however much that vase is worth, $20. That's, and it took you an hour. You have a $20 an hour job. And because technology makes people more productive, they they will be able you, that person will be able to make that vase in half the time in the future and then a quarter of the time. And so their wages will keep rising. Yes, yes, no, that, that is the hope that the wages keep rising. But as we see the march of this artificial intelligence, we realize it's probably, like you said, you know, that it's the new electricity. It's probably the most important technology mm -hmm. humanity has developed so far. So when any technology has ability of a computer to understand the questions that human ask them and uh, it's uh, it's able to search all the data that is in its memory and it gives us the best possible answer you know based on the data that it processes very quickly that we humans cannot process that quickly uh, it can help humanity fundamentally solve so many complex problems so as ai as you said is a new electricity what advances do you see coming our way that will help us solve most complex problems facing us today and, you know, will face us in the coming tomorrow? Well, you said something interesting at the beginning of that. You said that now the computer understands what you're asking. And, and to be really clear, there's not a computer in, on the planet that understands anything. They're just... They're just... Uh, no, no more different. No, no different than a clock that you wind up. They run their program, and they do their thing, and they have no volition, and they have no will, and they don't know if they're talking about fried chicken or, or who knows what. They have no idea of what they are. Um, they have no understanding. We say you know the computer sees something, but the computer doesn't. It has a sensor that can detect and register things, but it doesn't see anything, and it doesn't know anything, and so. In the end, it used to be on this planet, 90% of our people had to, well, used to be 100%. Everybody wandered around and ate stuff. Then we invented agriculture, 90% of us. Then for 10,000 years, it took 90% of us to grow our food. And now, you know, all those jobs are, are almost gone, not all of them, but they're, they're gone because technology empowered people to do more. And all of those new jobs were created. And so I believe... I believe very strongly that there are things machines cannot do. And, uh, and so I, I, I'm seemingly not nearly worried about it uh, as you are. Now, if you say, well, why do we have problems in the world? There are two different kinds. There are purely technical problems. And then there are, you know, like um, disease, purely technical. There doesn't have to be disease. We just don't know how to cure it all. And then there are other problems with, you know, hatred and envy and greed and, and all of that. And technology doesn't help with those kinds of problems. But if, as I think, disease is a technical problem, hunger is a technical problem, poverty is a technical problem, then they have technical solutions, almost by definition. And, and because the technology keeps getting better and better and better, we're going to be able to eliminate disease. and increase the standard of living of everyone like we've done for 10,000 years. It's really 
mysterious in a way. I think we're kind of we're kind of bred to be cautious because it's always better to to see a rock and think it's a bear and run away than to see a bear and think it's a rock. So we just run away from a lot of things. And so we've had 10,000 years of progress. We've had 250 years of the industrial revolution. We've seen every measure every measure of of uh, quality of life from life expectancy, infant mortality, individual liberty, all the rest. We see those sweeping the world. We made this brand new technology, which um, effectively makes everybody smarter. And it, it allows the life experiences of one person to help everybody. And so we've met all this and now people are like, oh, I'm worried about it. And it's like making people smarter, learning from data are, are unquestionably good things. Now, it's true, they can be misused, like like you've said, like you just said. But what we can take great comfort in is that there are more people who want to build than there are that destroy. Like you can list all the bad problems, bad actors on the internet. But why is the internet still good? It's good because more people want to build it than destroy it. Yes, that's very true. More people want to build it. And when the human environment is increasingly become wired and sensor filled and uh, digitally connected and automated, uh, humans, it seems, are on their way to becoming a cyborg because now you see all these people uh, putting RFID chips in their arms so that they don't have to need have the bus pass or they don't have to carry the credit cards. So as this trend continues, what will change for humans in terms of their capabilities? So it used to be that people had vastly better memories than they do now. So like in Roman times, there was a Roman general that supposedly knew the names of all 20,000 of his troops and the name of all their family members. Um, and then that, you know, and then you had these massive epics that were passed down orally because people memorized them. And then all of a sudden you had writing invented and it destroyed our memories. Um, in fact, Plato even writes about it. He says, what you've made with writing is not a tool for remembering anything, only for reminding you of things. And so our, our minds, our memories aren't nearly as good. Because back then, if you wanted to know something, well, you had to remember it. That was it. Or likewise, it used to be we know the first person who read a book without moving, without reading it out loud, re read to themselves. It's from a book in a um, 1600-year-old book that's been in print for 1600 years. Talks about like what a revelation that was, and that idea that the words would go off the page through your eye, and you would know something you'd never heard would sound, you know. Um, less human. And so where we sit, if you would ask those people back in the day, hey, uh, you'll get this pocket computer that knows all this stuff, but your memory is going to be shot. Um, they would have said, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I'm what a human is. And it's like bad memory thing isn't a better human. And so there's two kinds of things we're going to be able to do with, with, uh, mechanically or biologically there's anything having to do with the brain that's a game changer but right now we don't know how memories are encoded your brain doesn't your brain isn't a data processing device 
it, it there's not a location that things are you know your memory of your first bicycle so if we ever crack that one that really will make a big difference if you can access the internet with your mind for instance that is but everything else make people see better and hear better and do all the rest those don't really affect our um humanity in any way so you know they're no different than eyeglasses yes. and hearing aids Yes, but I mean, as you see, the computational intelligence is uh, evolving so rapidly and our human intelligence, it, it is kind of stagnant. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. evolving as uh, rapidly as you can compare with, you know, mm-hmm. computational mm-hmm. intelligence. So what do you see are the consequences of this intelligent explosion for humans in uh, general industries and nations as they see the computational intelligence exploding in front of them? Well... We have a completely different kind of intelligence that computers have, right? We, they, they have a very uh, brittle kind of, of, of um, understanding in the sense that you can train them with data and then you can, and they can take that data and they can look for patterns in it and they can use that to predict the future. And it's true, there's going to be faster and faster computers that will be able to do that trick faster and faster and faster. But it would be like saying um, computers are, are better th- at us because they're bigger or because um, you know they're silicon-based and we're carbon-based. They're different in that regard. Like they just do more calculations a minute, but there's no point in my view that if you keep doubling that and doubling that, that it suddenly becomes something different. There's not a straight line, I don't believe, between my iPhone and a sentient being. There's a great line between my iPhone and a better iPhone and a better iPhone and a better iPhone, but nothing that people do. I mean, I know there's all this worry about it and and it doesn't help that there's this idea of computers taking people's jobs, computers stealing people's jobs, and 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 the the more you th- the more one thinks of it that way, instead of the computers empower people to do more, and so we want them to get faster and faster. That doesn't mean they compete with us. Isn't it interesting that um, mathematics? You would you would assume back in the day when math was hard to do. And you would spend, you know, your whole day computing something. You would assume that if all of a sudden you made a machine that could do it in, a, in, a, in an instant, that would be bad for mathematics. But it wasn't. It isn't like, oh, well, no, we don't need mathematicians anymore. It's like all the computer can do is calculate. All it can do is store ones and zeros in memory. And to t- get from there to it can experience the world, I just have a hard time with. I have no evidence that we can do that. Yes, I <laughs> that that's an interesting example that you gave there. So and now as we go forward, I mean, with each technology advances, you know, anytime there is a development in science and uh, technology, there are, you know, changes that happens, you know, the way we do things, you know, changes and uh, decision makers, you know, irrespective of whether it's individuals or entities across nations, it's government industries, organizations or academia, they all need to be prepared. They all need to be prepared not only for their initiatives and investments, but they also need to uh, 
be prepared for having their citizens, nation citizens or employees be ready and be technologically uh, fit for the changes that are coming their way. So do you see that level of readiness for artificial intelligence or smart robots as we move forward uh, with the smart future? Well, that's a fantastically good question. You know, in the United States, there there was a debate uh, 150 years ago, give or take, on the benefits of post-literacy education. Isn't that interesting? The, the logic is, once somebody can read, why, why, why do they need to keep going to school? Uh, if, and if you live, you know, in an agricultural time where everybody's going to be a farmer, you know, reading is very useful, but nothing beyond that particularly is. And in the United States, they had that debate and they said, you know, the jobs of the future will require more education. And that's why we're going to, and, and the United States became the first country, I think, to guarantee a secondary education to every single person. Because they said, yeah, we need more education. And so you, you can always say that, like, okay, maybe we need to, to teach differently or we need to, you know, make junior college more accessible or, or, or whatever. The contrary argument, though, is as follows, which is I, if, I could, if I knew everything I knew today and I could go back in time to high school, there's only one thing I could have studied there that would still be useful to me today. And that's typing, which I didn't take. I mean, I, I, who could have foreseen that that would be the super skill? Uh, yes, you're going to use this 100-year-old device to interface with these computers. So when I when I graduated university and I got a job, I realized I didn't really know how to, I, they, I wasn't ever trained for a job. I was trained to be able to learn. And, and so, what we do in our everyday lives, you and I, and I'm sure every listener, is you teach yourself new things as you need to. And what happens is you hear a new term or, you know, some law passes or something, and, you know, you whip to Wikipedia and you look it up and then you follow a link and then you try to understand it better and then you jump into some forums and you teach yourself. And that's what we're really, really good at doing, teaching ourselves new things. And that's, um, I mean, I could suggest a number of ways we could change the educational system to make it more, create people more prepared. But in the end, uh, whatever people learn, they largely teach most of it themselves. You see, that's really what we are great at. Like you hear about like robots taking the jobs of waiters and waitresses as an example. And yet if you ever watch what a waiter or waitress has to do, you know, they have to clean up the spilled drink. They have to remake the pizza. They have to get the toddler seat over to there. They have to re, they have to do a thousand different things. And, and so we're incredibly high skilled when you look at that, the ability to make a robot to do like one of those things where we, we can't. And so what we're able to do is we have this enormous versatility that we can put to use on learn and learn new things. And that's what I think will happen. Uh, kids today will have jobs that haven't been invented and uh, and they'll teach themselves how to do those jobs. Yes, no, you made a very interesting point that uh, colleges gives us an ability to 
it that teaches us how to think but mm-hmm. when it comes to jobs and how to be trained for jobs that's not something the colleges teach and we have to teach that ourselves because our this journey is lifelong you know it's not mm-hmm. like once what you learn in college that you are done with it there is a lot that we have to keep learning and that's why our education system needs to evolve you know with the changing times so other than that that is definitely one of the complex challenges that each nation faces uh, that their education system is not prepared for the coming changes what other concerns do you have about the smart future that is developing and for what you know the nations are not ready well although i don't believe technology is going to destroy jobs or put people out you know out out compete us um there are plenty of problems that we're going to be facing with it and I think the first one, um, I mean, some of them are just hard. Like every every day we had millions of Internet uh, Internet of Things devices. We plug millions of more devices into the Internet. And for the most part, those devices can't be upgraded. And so vulnerabilities in them can be found and exploited. And you could turn every toaster oven on. And I mean, th- there's that. There's the misuse of artificial intelligence by uh, governments that I would I would put up there. It used to be most people were pretty protected. Their privacy was pretty protected because there are just so many people. You know, nobody can listen to every phone conversation uh, and read every email. And therefore, you kind of were always lost in the in the giant shuffle. With with AI, it's possible to read every email and and listen to every phone conversation and decipher it. And now that uh, AI is really good at reading lips, even if there are cameras up everywhere, they don't have microphones. It can still record everything. Facial recognition gets better. And then you can see how that's like a file on every single person that the government, and then there's, there's making predictions from that. And I mean, so the internet is a, is a technology that can be abused by tyrants to, to keep close watch on, on their people. Um, but luckily it gives the uh it connects people i mean you know well you know you know all of that so i think we're going to have a real challenge with um privacy there's also um the debate around explainability that if the machine makes a recommendation that affects your life you should kind of understand why it made that and in some kinds of ai there is no why uh it, it may in clustering, you know, the, the fact of the matter is you got turned down for the note because you fell into this bubble in this model that, um, you know, said, don't, don't give them the loan. So explainability and people either, either deciding what constitutes enough information and, uh, and, and if we if we want everything to truly be explainable or not. So uh, those IoT devices, bad state actors, uh, and things like that, I think are, are real problems. Good. So what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially those young minds who are trying to shape the fourth industrial revolution? And also, you know, if you would like to share the details about your book, where the global viewers and listeners can access that book. Well, thank you. Um, Generally, the number one question I get when I go speaking is, uh, what 
should my kids study today that'll make them employable in the future? Oftentimes it's what should I study today to make me employable in the future too? And you know, the, the list is easy. It's um, self-teaching yourself new things. That's the great skill. As you said, it's a lifelong one. You know, we, we, we write a whole lot more. I think my parents' generation never wrote anything. You know, they would write an occasional letter. We probably send 40 emails a day. So we're constantly writing. Um, we, we need more soft skills like reading body language and negotiation and things like that uh, because the world of tomorrow is more transactional. You're, more groups are forming and dispersing and all of the rest. Now, the book that I had come out is, is called... Um, well, it's a, it's about it's called the fourth age, and uh, what I try to do in that book is I, it's not a book about my opinions on these these issues. It is a book that tries to explain why so many people have different opinions about them, and so it it's a book that uh, asks you a series of questions, and then based on your answers, it says ah these are the implications of it, and um, so that's what it is. Is it's a it's a way to try to think about it instead of just being another book with somebody's opinion. Good, good. So uh, thank you so much, Byron, for, oh, that was fun. for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on the fourth industrial age and for doing your part in helping raise awareness about it. And our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided on your perspective of the fourth age and the risk and rewards it brings to the humanity. So mm -hmm. Even if a single individual or entity can come up with an idea to help manage the security risk emerging in the fourth industrial revolution and help bring survival and sustainability mm -hmm. for humanity in cyberspace, geospace, and space, this Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service, and we thank you for that. Oh, thank you. I had a great time. Wonderful. So we at Risk Group call attention to risk impacting humanity at all levels as we rapidly move forward in the fourth industrial revolution. By identifying the problem and raising awareness for it, we take the first step in beginning to address it. Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology conversions and transformation happening across cyberspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security, so if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the Risk Roundups, to watch the Risk Roundup videos or hear the Risk Roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.